Hey, Peter. Yo. You look a little nervous for today's show. <laughs> I'm nervous excitement is what I would call it. Why? Excited with nervous How, energy. What could make you nervous? Well, today we are presenting our conversation with Maestro Ron Carter. Well, now I'm nervous. I'm Peter Martin. You're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Music advice, inspiration, conversation, and dope tracks, as always, coming at you. Coming at you today, sponsored by Open Studio. Go to openstudiojazz.com for all your jazz lesson needs. And Peter, today we have a very special episode because we, last week, interviewed one of the greatest musicians of all time. Yes. One of our favorite musicians. Yes. Uh, someone who we've talked to before, but on a, in a different context. And yeah. we had an amazing long conversation with the great Ron Carter. Yes. And we our like, second. Our We're second, not bragging. That's just, it is what it is. <laughs> and there might, uh, we're not going to okay. jinx it, but there might be more. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we was, were a little bit, we were a little bit more at ease, which was fun. We were, yeah. We were not totally relaxed. Not totally. Especially not because not of first. Mr. Carter didn't make us feel relaxed, but it's just, he was I mean, great. it's just so much music. Yeah. You know, it's, you, you can't, you know, when you're in his presence, um, you can't stop just, for me, just a feeling of gratitude, yeah. you know, but it kind of almost like shrouds the whole conversation for the amount of notes and music and so many interesting, cool musical situations that have just, you know, enhanced and edified my life so much. It's just a lot of gratitude. It was a very cool conversation. And, you know, we should a little backstory. So yeah. uh, Mr. Carter and actually his representation yes. reached out to his us. People. His people. Reached out directly to us. <laughs> to our, yeah, directly. To, we don't have people. No, directly to us and, and said like, hey, Mr. Carter saw Bob Debu, friend yes. of the show, uh, an open studio instructor, yes. saw Bob Debu's bass player, our, our bass guy to practice session. How on, to, on the open studio YouTube channel. How to walk like Ron Carter. <laughs> and Ron Carter would like to know if you would like to know <laughs> exactly how Ron Carter walks because... It's Ron Carter. It's Ron He's going to tell you. He's going to come on. Yeah. yeah. And we were like, yes, that's something that we'd be interested in. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be something you might be interested in. Very much so, Penny. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so we are so thrilled to have that for you today. And uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't dilly dally too long. No, here. no, no. I'll just say this. It was it was a it was a beautiful conversation, insightful. I'll, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Ron Carter, the fashion icon. We didn't just talk baselines and how to play baseline. We did. But we talked about his fashion career. Yeah. You know, we talked about kind of his feelings on jazz education, the current jazz uh, state. He's so, I mean, beyond just his incredible playing, he's such a thinker about the music, about, you know, um, how to practice, you know, how to play with others. Great stuff. Well, with all that said, uh, now we would like to present, we are proud yes. to present the great Ron Carter. We are so pleased to be joined today again uh, by the amazing Mr. Ron Carter. Mr. Carter, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's nice to be here and nice to talk to you, both the guys on one microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, so we're talking here today. We were, we've been emailing back and forth, and you saw one of the videos on our channels that was yes. uh, done by our colleague Bob DeBoo. Uh, who's a very fine bass player in his own right. And the name of the video was Walk Like Ron Carter. <laughs> and before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of what it must be like to walk like <laughs> Ron Carter, I'm just wondering for you, uh, you know, you're one of a handful of musicians that if, you, if, you, if you're learning the bass, at some point you have to address you, you Ron Carter. 
And so what's it like uh, to see now with YouTube and all of these, you know, instructional videos, uh, they say uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You must feel flattered all, all day, every day. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed. Uh, during the big pandemic, now that we're uh, edging towards the fringes of it, uh, I got a lot of calls from my students who were not, not so active. There were no gigs, there were no in-person classes, and they had a lot of spare time to spend in front of their computers, necessarily so. Yeah. Uh, and I would get these requests, did I know this record that I'm on, or did I know who was on this record that they found on YouTube? And, and that happened 15 and 20 times during the course of uh, a month, you know? And uh, I, I got over being embarrassed the first 10 times, saying, no, I didn't remember that. And are you sure I'm the right guy on that record? And of course, <laughs> they were correct, you know? So it led me to have to review some of my recorded history. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and uh, once I got over being embarrassed that I didn't remember each of those 2,000 and some of my recordings specifically, the ones that they picked up on were ones that were memorable because of the ultimate the musical value on a larger scale than just a studio date I'm going home. You know, uh, so I've uh, I've been been embarrassed more than I'd like to say out loud. And <laughs> fortunately, uh, those student requests were. Due to email, not Zoom, so they couldn't see me scratching my head and say, "Really?" <laughs> or my my New York uh, tan has turned to a nice maroon now with the blushing I've been doing <laughs> with these things. So, uh, it's been a very humiliating and uh, enlightening uh, awareness that, that sometimes I can't believe that I'm the guy who did those things. Mm. So was this did, was this the first time in your career, your your long and illustrious career and ongoing career? We should note. And I and I, I want to get a chance to talk about since last we spoke all the places you've been you know in concert in public already uh, again but is this sort of the it was this pandemic period sort of the first period you've had since you started to really reflect in that way and maybe see a little bit the way maybe the rest of the world and especially other bass players and just musicians sees Ron Carter and like how to how to walk like Ron Carter yes it's a, it's overwhelming. Mm. I, I'm blanketed with all these comments. You know, I feel like I'm looking like this now. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Uh, yeah, it's quite a, an illuminating experience for me. And uh, uh, as they say in the old days, the hits just keep on coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, like Peter was saying, there's all these you know videos how to walk like Ron Carter, bass lines like Ron Carter. So, <laughs> in your own words, how do you do it? I know it's a big question, but where do you begin if you're a bassist? You know, well, uh, well, you know, during this, I call it the two and a half year intermission we all were forced to endure. Mm -hmm. uh, I've put together several books from my publishing company, Retract Productions, and, and uh, uh, one of the books I use in my teaching my students how to uh, understand the the how I do what I do, and I like that kind of general, non magic magic terms. Yeah. Uh, I have a process that I have them go through. Which has to, which has them to make baselines with a certain certain process. I think one of my concerns, guys, is that bass players today don't have a plan. You know, they get by on perspiration, they mm. get by on youth, they get by on ink in terms of their reputation already, and, and and they get by on what they think they're doing to make this reputation grow without having to study how it got there and how to make it get better mm. despite all the other things that they're hearing about how good they play. 
Having said that, I explained to my students that there's a process I call building jazz bass lines. And we go through this process until we, I feel that they have an understanding of how it's done. That that may take anywhere from f four to four to five eight lessons before they understand what I do is based on a very simple ability to one, just play quarter notes, hmm. two, to know where the notes are located on the bass, to understand the form of the song, and to really know the changes. If you can do those four things with a plan in mind, you have a good chance of not necessarily walking like me, but you'd be able to walk by yourself <coughs> without the training wheels. You know, uh, And I have a book called Blueprint for the Working Jazz Basis that's dev devoted and dedicated to guys and gals who want to play better than they do, but they don't have a plan. And they understand that they can't keep playing F7 with four Fs and the B-flat 7 with a <laughs> B-flat 7, B-flat F, B-flat. Yeah. They understand that's no longer acceptable. Yeah. The bass is being recorded a lot better than in the 40s. They've gotten better instruments. They've got better strings. They have better uh, 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 concepts as a, around them. Mm. You know? and, and those people who are not waiting for the baby pinks to get their solo spotlight, they're starting to understand how much impact their bass lines can have on the band's success musically. Mm. Yeah. Well, we have a copy of the book right here, Ron Carter's Blueprint for the Working Jazz Basses. It's fantastic. And if you don't mind, I'd love to read the letter from you up front because there's so, there's so much in this. You mentioned those sort of four root pillars of, of your, your... I love that you said plan because I, I love that idea of having, actually having a plan. Uh, uh, it starts with, Dear fellow working bassist, this book is your manual for how to take your playing to the next level and to increase the demand for your unique sound on stage and on recordings. So straight away... I love this idea that you're using these very simple elements, but there's still a stress on your unique sound that people don't want to hear anybody try to sound like Ron Carter. They want to hear <laughs> them. They want to hear, I want to hear you. Like, I want to hear what sure. you have yeah. to say, you know? Yeah. And I think that gets lost a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is a compilation of what I personally learned while playing on thousands of records and during decades of live performances. If you follow the instructions and practice often, and with purpose, you'll be able to excel in any musical group, in any key, in any tempo, and with lyrics. Again, not putting any, you'll be able to sound like me, you'll be able to do, you know, have these, these skills. We often say around here at Open Studio that you can't information your way to being a better player. That's not <laughs> what it's about, you know. <laughs> and the last paragraph, I think, is, is the most critical. More importantly, those choices are what separate the average working bass player from the player with his or her own unique sound. The sound people want to have on stage and on their recordings, and amen to that. Um, I wonder if you could just talk about that, about about the unique sound aspect of even from from the the plan from the beginning. You know. Well, I, I think uh, one of the things that was interesting to me back in the day was that my influences were not bass players. J.J. Uh, Johnson. I was fascinated by how much he played the trombone and went by the bell. Twice a week. I mean, he was all up, all hit here. You know, I mean, mm. he knew the instrument overtone series so well. Mm. It didn't matter where he was; he knew what the choices were, and that really appealed to me. Then I spent some time working with Randy Weston's quartet in the early '60s, with Cecil Payne was being the baritone player, and he, Cecil Payne came along at the time when they were Serge Charloff in Boston, Jerry Mulligan was just getting hot again. You had Harry Carney with Duke's band. 
You know, we had all these wonderful baritone players that Cecil Payne, Pepper Adams, was able to sound completely different using the same instrument, baritone saxophone. And he couldn't explain to me how he did that. He just said that he's hearing something different from him. And with those two influences on the scene as, at my earlier days in New York, it gave me a good foothold on if I want to play this space and get some work, what's it going to do to set me apart from the guys who are already working? Mm-hmm. And the two things that struck my mind is I have to have a certain kind of skill, not skill level, a certain kind of skill level, which allows me to play the notes that I think I hear that are pretty different than whatever everyone else is hearing and what rhythms these notes work with. And two, can I have the sound I get on Monday the same as the sound I get on Saturday, whether they're a day apart or a year apart? Consistency, yeah. You know, I, t- I tell my students that when, you, when the bass comes out of that case on Tuesday, you gotta have the same sound you have when you put it back in there Monday night. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have a, they, they understand that, but they have the discipline to remember what that sounded like. It's a whole other entity to them. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, do you see this as, from when you first uh, were coming up and on, and on the scene in New York and working, and even before then, to today, have these kind of core principles, do you, are they different now for a bass player coming up that's 18, 19 years old coming to New York or anywhere uh, in terms of getting your sound, knowing how to interact with the drummer, these kind of things. Has it changed? And Not at all. Okay, good. Mm. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> if, if, if anything has changed, it's more important because they have better ways to make the bass player sound in the club. Mm. He's no longer hiding behind a huge music stand like the old pictures of the Duke Ellington band. Those pictures of the stand, I call it hiding behind the palm tree. <laughs> the guy's on the stage now, man, and the girl's on the stage. Yeah. People can see what it takes to, to make them to do what they do. Yeah. And they can hear better because you've got better sound systems. The jazz clubs, the sound guy works for the whole week, not just opening night and goes home for six nights. Mm. You know, the venues have better keyboard, pianos, they have better microphones. So now the bass player is more called upon to be respons- responsible and respectful to the audience that now they hear what he or she does they can no longer hide behind the music stand that's up around their nose. <laughs> right. When you're, when you're working with students one-on-one, and I know this would change, of course, with every student individually, but you know, say you're, you're, you're working with someone for the first time, what are you keying in on in that very first interaction? What are you listening for? One, do they know how to spell a chord? And two, where can they play these notes? Mm. I explained to them, if you have a first finger F on the D string, what notes are around that note that require you not to move? If you have second finger A on the G string, what notes are there that allow you to stay where you are until you get tired of hearing it? You're the ultimate judge of that kind of stuff. You know, so we, for the first, these bass lines, we never leave half position, and it takes a while for them to get to be allowed to use non-chord tones and rhythm based on the chord notes that they already decided. Mm. My broad concern is that once they know that there are some of these beautiful notes, as they call it in Cuba, for the bass players to play, they're going to do all that and the chord tones will disappear. Mm. And secondly, their rhythms become so complicated that the groove is gone because their ego makes it possible at skill level to just kind of play as vertical as possible and be very impressive. Well, that is impressive because I'm impressed with that kind of stuff. 
But what happened to the changes? Is the F7, B flat 7? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not doing that, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so interesting. You mentioned that staying in the half position. We were just um, here a couple weeks ago, did a master class with great pianist Fred Hirsch. Oh, yeah, no, Fred. Great player. A great player. And he was talking about how pianists do the same thing, make it too hard on themselves, and talking about staying in, in this, you know, with your thumb in a relatively same position. And what can you get out of that? And it seems like yeah. it's very similar, yeah. similar concepts. Um, so you have this great thing. Again, the book uh, that we're talking about is Ron Carter's Blueprint for the Working Jazz Basis. We're going to put a link here in the description of this video so that you can go pick up your copy. It's it's fantastic, whether you play the bass or not, actually. If you just yes. are a pianist, you know, get your bass lines right with this uh, these same concepts. Um, but there's this great uh, technique you have in here called connecting the dots that I think is so interesting. And you can see it here a little bit. I'll just put it up in front of the camera here where you have those exactly what you're talking about the chord tones and what they are yes. and you're literally yes. Yes. like a like a child you know at a restaurant with the kids menu connecting lots <laughs> in a maze but yes. i this is so brilliant I, I would never thought visually you can see exactly what you should what you could be doing here and there's so and many options you, and it shows you the the, the the kind of line you make are you making a lot of jumps around are you doing a whole course without playing an octave mm. you know uh, how often are you forcing to play uh, the same notes because you don't know what else is there without having to shift for another set of notes. It makes them think that for each beat in this measure, that the blues, there are five choices, for example. You have five, uh, F-A-C, F-A-C, F-A, for the first beat. Multiply it times four beats, five times, that's that 20 choices for the first measure alone. Mm. Just chord tones. When we had rhythm, man, you're never going to run out of stuff to play. So don't tell me you can't think of anything, but you can't think of anything to play because you don't know what else to play as the FAC on the A string. Yeah, no, man, come on. <laughs> so how does that work then, you know, going back to what we were talking about, how, how to walk like Ron Carter, everybody's been chasing that around and now you see the last half, year and a half, you're like, wow, everyone's talking about, and people have been talking about this for 50 years, but now you get to see a little bit of it. But the idea of like, even if somebody gets close to walking through studying your transcription, studying your concepts, but then this idea that what, what you're talking about connecting the dots, there's still so many different options. So it, yes. maybe, maybe walking like Ron Carter is knowing that you have those different options and then being able to do the math like you just did as you go and start to see how exponential it actually is baselines. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, Choices that we're never going to hear. You know, my students come in with this exercise, and I'm kind of stunned that they got this combination. Going, I said, Jesus, what? Where, <laughs> yeah. where was that last week when I had this date and I couldn't think of anything else to play except what I already knew I had done? Mm. Yeah, that's a great level of uh, stuff available for the students who are disciplined enough to not get frustrated because now they no longer play F F C C F A. No, that's no more, no more good. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the movement that you see in those kind of lines. Right, you know, and when they see what it looks like that they just drew, yeah, they say, oh gee, I thought my line had more interesting. Well, no, it had no more interesting than the frog. Come on, <laughs> make, make, yeah. a, make a bet. Don't hop around like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, how much do you find this this visualization of it? How much do you find that that corresponds to an actual like killing sounding baseline? Like, are there exceptions to this rule, or is it pretty much like dialed in with that? No, that's that's the rule. You know, okay. You can always learn how to how to bend them, how you make the seventh resolve, you know, or how many octaves you use. You gotta find a sequence of a bass line. Yeah. But these rules, man, these are the rules that make the house stand. Mm. That's great. 
I love so just one more thing on the connecting the, the dots here you there's a there's a page in the book here the results of connecting the dots are and you list three things one to control which drum the drummer plays which I would never think of that but of course that's true that the connecting the dots exercise what chord tones you're playing where the bass sits yeah. is naturally going to affect the drummer and they're going to make different decisions and choices yes and then two to assist the pianist in voicing <laughs> their chords based on the range uh, and that's something that now, I don't know about you, Peter, but now I feel like tugged along at the string by the yeah, bass. <laughs> exactly. A as it would be. Yeah, of course. <laughs> something I didn't even consider. And then number three, to affect the range of the soloist, that the, that the soloist plays based on the dynamic preference of the direction and location of the bassist non-chord, no choices. Yeah. And then once the bass player understands his responsibilities and the, 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 the impact he has on groups, man... The, the whole the hard parts kind of hold on back like this, guys. Just wait, 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 wait. Mm. Yeah. Don't play all you know for the first two courses because this guy's got forty-five courses left on this same <laughs> tune, you know. Right. And right. this footprint allows them to have these multiple choices. Yeah. Well, let's talk about groove a little bit since you you just brought it up because there's so much you know in the in, on YouTube and all over you know online education, music education about you know what notes do I play? That's that's what everybody talks about. But we like to talk about around here that that doesn't matter as much as how you play them, how they're felt, what the groove is, maintaining that, having a, a strong sense of rhythm and a rhythmic vocabulary. How do you address your students with rhythm and groove and things like that? Well, I, I try to have them understand that the first good thing are four good quarter notes. Without that basic cloth that is hard to make a design and a pattern with the basic cloth is not stable enough. Mm. And, and so they ask me, how do you play rhythms against that kind of cloth? You know? Or what's the result? So what I'll do, I'll, 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 uh, I'll show you what I do. I put my metronome at quarter note is 92, and it's not too fast, you know, it's kind of thing. And I'll play with this, I'll play one chorus for just playing quarter notes. Then I'll play at the same, another chorus with just a little more rhythm, but still not moving around so much. Give me one minute to get out of my chair and Take lose your time. my physical comfort here. And yeah. All right, please. Take your time. This is doing that thing again, so. All right, let's take it, let's cut right. it and come back to it. I have to power down. I think we're cool. I've been switching, thinking we're gonna use the. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Can, can you hear the metronome? Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm gonna play a course of just quarter notes. Blues and F.
<laughs> so I, I want them to hear what the quarter note is still going on in my head. I'm still hearing this. And I make my notes, my rhythms, fit inside these four quarter notes that I've been staying here since the guy gave the count off. One, two, three. I'm laying right in this cut. Yeah, the whole time. Yes. And that's the basis for everything, those four. Yes. Yeah. You need four good quarter notes or nothing happens. Nothing happens. That's terrific. So turn off my, turn, let me turn off my assistant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you still practice quite a bit. You're still, you're still a daily practicer, is that right? Well, I, I'm good for an hour a day. You know, when yeah. I was, before the intermission, I was playing X number of hours every day, so I was on the base experimenting. Yeah. Uh, on the base is where we do this on-the-job training, where we see how much is we're working on in our conversations and our lessons. Can we apply that to the real life? Yeah. And we'll let those opinions that are around us, the, the piano players' voicings, you know, the horn players playing the ninth chorus, can, he, can you maintain his interest? He just played eight courses that were not very good for you, but can you make him want to still stay there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the drummer getting louder, he's getting stronger as the gig wears on, and he's just kind of overpowering everybody. These real-life situations give you a chance to see if you can really command their attention using the devices we have talked about during our lessons. So let me ask you about that just to press a little further because it's something we talk, again, we hear from so many students about, so I'm practicing all of this material, you know, and, and I'm working on my sound, and then I get on the gig, and it's not happening. You know, it's not what I'm practicing. I can't be, I get nervous, or I'm not, I'm not playing how I play in the practice room. I'm not as present. I'm not as communicative as I'd like to be. I'm in my head. Um, is there anything that, that you can give advice for young musicians or even seasoned musicians who might be dealing with this? Because I'm pretty sure this is a universal thing that it, it, no one's immune to big moments and being on the stage. And, and it's something that, that, in my experience, everyone I've talked to at some point has had to deal with or, or, or work on their focus or concentration. Is there anything that you can give, uh, any advice you can give to young musicians about that? Okay, well, they have to remember when they're at home, there's no one in their way. If they can think about that, that at home by themselves, they're in charge of the whole program, mm. and their and their ego accepts that. But the reality is that on the bandstand, whatever number of pieces of people there are in the band, they're calling the shots. Yeah, no, it's yeah. perfect at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's no one playing too loud. There's no one playing sharp or flat. There's no one hitting the rim shot always on two and four. I mean, oh, this yeah. shuffle of rhythm. You know, these factors are part of how you have to determine how can you work within this new confine of five people, four people, whatever, the quartet, quintet, whatever they're giving you the, as input that they want to be responsible for. Can you make what you want to do equally important that they want to be responsible to what you're doing? Yeah. That means that you got to do three things. You have to hear what they're doing. You have to be aware of what's going on. Two, you have to hope that they're as adventuresome rhythmically as you are. Hmm. And three, you have to hope that they aren't making you play a root every downbeat for the beginning of the chorus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you can get those, those things in place, whatever you do, 
may not be great, but it'll give you confidence to try it again for the next chorus and the next chorus, the next until you find out this works for this band. Mm, yeah. You know, I tell my students that the first two first two choruses of any gig other than my band, I, I'm gonna give him the band leader what he wants. Mm. A lot of roots, you know, a lot of quarter notes. And if I play a B natural on the F chord for the downbeat, if he, if his eyebrows go like this, <laughs> I got him. <laughs> the third chorus then is mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you really are using those first two choruses a bit of a how did how do you do a get to know you a, kind yes, of a, a absolutely. pressure test of the situation. You can tell what drums of what the bass drum is too loud or how bright the snare drum is mm. or if the cymbal has a lot of ring to it or how much the piano player is using the pedal for a metronome beat with his foot, or he's using sustain too long, or if the horn player is really sharp in pitch and he keeps holding these long notes that are almost a quarter tone sharp, and, and no one is afraid to tell him he's sharp, you know? I, I mean, <laughs> it, that, that's what you do. Probably what you do is give this guy, here's an A, man, duh, on F, F chord, you know? Yeah. Mm. So that everyone feels that there's a, something going on here other than the volume of the band, that, that the intonation level is kind of going sideways. Yeah. You can help that by making sure your pitch is pretty good and that things we talk about in my lessons as to what I call that plenty of check notes available so you can check out your pitch for every note because that's critical. So this this kind of like super advanced ear training, I guess it would be, where you can take all that in, as you say, in the first chorus, first two choruses, possibly even the first note on a gig. How do young players or any players develop this i know you know in terms of what notes to play the chords like this is going back to even talking about all the information and the tutorials on youtube you know how do you use the scale or whatever but i think that you're talking about something on a much higher level of being present and being able to you know hear and assimilate all this information so that you can program what you're going to play then not based upon oh i want to walk this baseline that i learned like how how, how how do you how do you and that's not even how do you walk like ron carter how do you walk the first two courses like ron carter so you're ready to play what everybody needs to hear <laughs> how do you hear like ron yeah carter, if yeah. we can get that on this video <laughs> that's gonna be the big secret yeah. <laughs> so the first thing you gotta do is Turn the page eight. Turn the page thirteen in my book. Okay, <laughs> thirteen. Okay, oh, that's whatever, connect, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right Move after connecting the position. dots, we're there. The first thing you got to do is see that all those notes I'm playing in this—they're all—I have not moved at all. Mm. I'm not worried about shifting position. I'm not worried about looking fancy. I'm not worried about the TV camera catching my left hand. Mm. All I want to know is these notes I'm hearing. Where the fuck are they? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, if I'm going to do a two choruses to introduce myself to the band, I must play a good corner to attract their attention that I know where the beat is. Mm. I know what the form is. And I can clearly play these changes without having to, to join the Ringling Brothers High Rise Circus to show you that I can play the bass. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? So the line that you see on page 13 are the results of my connecting the dots. Wow. And that's the half position work, right? That's that. I, I haven't. I, I, that, that's what the big money is, man. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I could tell you, I've I've played with quite a few bass players who shall remain nameless. They have used an opposite uh, opposite strategy <laughs> to this, especially at the beginning of the <laughs> of the tune, where it's like everything but this range and this kind of like logic and simplicity. Yeah, they need a medic or the nurse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or a parachute to get back down from where they are, man. Right, yeah. and then it's like, where do you I, go I, if you start there? Yeah, I admire that skill level because it's it's taken a lot of work to figure out to do that. 
Right. I think that they have a better range of the bass in mind mm-hmm. as a full range of the bass rather than just the upper level of it. You'll find that more uses to make the upper level even sound higher right. if you have a good enough ground working for you. Now, well, if you hear a bass player at the beginning you know, of a tune or something, do the opposite of this and get no high and, you know, different rhythms and stuff. Is that, are you kind of immediately like, oh yeah, this thing could be happening or does it ever, yes. is there ever a way to, oh, it's done, it's, it's over? <laughs> well, he, I, I'm, I'm, if, if he does that, he doesn't really know the changes. Yeah. And doesn't really know the form. So he's kind of hoping that someone plays enough downbeats for him or enough melody for the second chorus Yeah. to kind of save his ass or mm. her ass, so to speak, you know? Yeah. yeah. Kind of save them not knowing how to get down from up here because yeah. no one, I mean, the piano player is going to stop comping every now and then. Mm-hmm. And the drummer, is, he's, just, he's just playing time with no real form necessarily in, in mind. And the horn player is going to play what he's going to play. He may be based on force or alternate changes. He's going to play some notes that go over the bar line or he may play three against four. There's no one going to be responsible for what the tune except you, young person. Mm-hmm. Your job is you want to really start to be an integral part of the band and, and, and been able to command their attention. You've got to show them what you really know to do for their sake. Mm. Mm. It seems too that... If you get to the third course and you're still higher, then you're on, you, you got them. You're, you're on the right track. <laughs> well, it seems too that with this this half position, you know, you have the F blues in the half position and the it's sort of what you're saying is it goes hand in hand with those first two choruses of listening. And, and and again, pressure testing. What what is going on here? Who's doing what? what where where am I fitting into this? And yeah. you can't you can't do that if you're if you're doing acrobatics, you know, right out of the gate. It's a, it's a little complicated, but again, the, the point is, what that leads to, uh, Peter, is that the band leaders they start thinking, whose band is this? Mm-hmm. And that can't be productive for the rest of the night. Uh, I hear the ba- I hear band leaders say to me, "Hey, hey uh, uh, maestro." I did this gig with this young man, and he stayed above G for the first eight, nine chords of every tune. Mm. Well, he wants the audience to be seeing him and hearing him. He's not concerned with his job, which is to make you sound good mm-hmm. right now. His job is to see who can get the most attention fastest, and he's playing all the notes, and he's got the maybe the loudest sound in the band with the amp and stuff. He's, he or she, they want their share of attention before they've earned it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I want to, if it's okay, just jump to a, a, a little bit off subject of bass lines, but it's something I've always wanted okay. to ask you. And so, so I, I feel like, I don't know, this will either be a really interesting place or it'll be like, oh, whoops, Zoom is done. Where did Mr. <laughs> Carter go? But no. since you were mentioning about, you know, having this opportunity during the pandemic period to be able to kind of dive in and, and see a side that, oddly enough, all of us have, have been seeing and talking about, and especially bass players, but really all musicians for years, um, there's two other areas that I always thought were interesting for you besides obviously baselines. Um, one is you are one of the most photographed jazz musicians of all time. And, and by that, I mean one of the most really well photographed and photogenic um, musicians of, of all time. You I mean, I remember the first some examples going right up. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we have a few examples yeah, yeah. going back here that we just do together. But I mean, is that do you, did you realize that or is that kind of like this? Everyone's talking about Ron Carter's bass lines and you didn't know that that was happening. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I well, let me go back. I, is this, a, this, uh, is this a black and white movie or is it, are we in color here? Yeah, sure. it's color. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you, we can go back to black my, and white, my, though. <laughs> you, my, my, you, you guys are. Okay. <laughs> 
the, the tint has just changed from a nice medium brown to a nice maroon because I'm seeing these images behind you, uh-huh. <laughs> and I've seen some of them before. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, as I have asked occasionally, when I got the nerve to ask a guy, "Why are you doing that?" He said, "You make it look so effortless." Mm. I never see you. It appears to me exerting yourself past the point of almost of sheer exhaustion, and it's just the first couple of courses. Right. And and I think that how do you do that look that they think is okay to film, to photograph, is one of the reasons why I remember some of those iconic pictures of of a bass player. Uh, I I think, guys, I think one of the things uh, that attracts people to me is the sound that they heard on records. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to, despite everything else, and by that I mean, just check this out. If I play a note in March in the studio, it gets to your house maybe a year later, okay? But in this process, there are five people who think they know what the bass sounds like. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. The engineer, the producer, the band leader, the mixer, and the guy who makes the master. They all have these little dials in front of them about the bass presence. Mm. You know? and in the old days, when you had LPs, you could see the widest bands on the record were where the bass was the loudest. Mm. It took up the most space. You know? So I think now when they come to where I'm working, they're used to hearing that sound live that they heard on the radio or on their neighbor's record or in their car. I think it's that which enhances my what, what draws them to gigs I play because I want to see this guy. Is he really doing that? What I heard on the radio? Mm-hmm. Is he always? Is he, is he really playing like that live? And this is already the second set. Right. You know, I think it's those kind of things that that draws them to to me. Yeah. And but my 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 visual image. You know. But as you'll see from some of these, like, okay, like that one right there, you're not even holding the bass and you're looking good. You're looking like a, a model. So there's there's that. There, there is another thing. Like, it, it definitely, I, I believe it comes, nat- you have a natural talent and ability in modeling, maybe ahead of your time even. Um, you heard it here, fir- here first. You, you heard it here first. You know, it's not just the bass line. <laughs> I didn't know you were it's talent a- scout, Peter. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, the ones with the bass, of course, are because I think that, you know, with, like with all great jazz photography, and I'm super interested in jazz photography, but it, it like, I mean, like you see this, Wayne Shorter, Miles Davis, Ron Carter, like the sound floods into our into our yeah. brains as we're looking at it. there's that but then when it's just you holding it it's like yeah just your notes floods in but when you have the bass down it's like wow that's just a cool guy there hanging out by bass i wonder if he plays it or not i don't know he's looking good there anyway <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you give me two points on looks yeah yeah exactly because i remember the very first time i went to, to japan in 1994 i was with roy hargrove and i'm oh, like wow. you know and I mean, you probably remember the first time you went to Japan. It's like I'm, I mean, it's beyond. I'm in a foreign land. I'm, yeah, I'm like, I don't. Yeah. I'm on Mars or something. But I remember yeah. walking, and there was a billboard of you for an advertisement, and I was, I, I had to do a double take. I'm like, that's Ron Carter, and uh, but, and you did have a base, but it was really, I mean, it wasn't just about like the base. It was like a beautiful black and white. Was it a uh, alcohol or or a cigar? Uh, 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 um, I know it was something adult. 
yeah, yeah uh, Santori. Santori, oh, right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, you were like yeah, ahead yeah. of Bill Murray. You were like Santori times before Bill Murray was, you know. Yes, I'm, I'm not sure he recognizes that, but it was like, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was like a, just striking for photography and like set in Japan. It was night, and I was like jet lag. But I, I felt like I'd gone to like Mars, but heaven also. I was like, what in heaven? Ron Carter is on every uh, corner. It's not just on my albums; he's everywhere. I think it should be noted too that when you asked him how how he photographed so well, he brought it back to the practice room. I know that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know. Uh, 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 Japan was one of the few countries that sees jazz musicians as viable models for a product. Yeah. yeah. In the States, they find an actor who looks great, but he holds the bass or the saxophone upside down or backwards. <laughs> and, right. Uh, for them, it's not so critical as, as it is the product he or she is, is pushing. Yeah. In Japan, they wanted people to see not only is this product okay, but the guy looking who's holding the coffee cup. I did a Tully's, which is like the Japanese version of uh, sure. uh, Starbucks, you yep. know, yeah. uh, in a coffee shop, you know, and, and I'm playing on the background in a small coffee shop, I think. And, and uh, for them, that I'm playing at this coffee shop, yeah, playing a real bass with some real serious intent, yeah, the coffee must be as good as I am. Mm, yeah. It may not look as good as I do right then, but it must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, they just, yeah, they care about the quality. I think even for, even though they know a lot of the people don't know exactly that yeah. you're holding the bass exactly correctly in your hand position, but they care about quality so much. They're like, it doesn't matter because someone is going to know and it's going to yeah. resonate with them. And they're right because that's what's happened. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people who do know responded to that, you know? Yeah. I did a vitamin ad, you know, I did a, a life insurance ad, you mm. know? Because that look that I bring to the product gives that product a little more panache, a little more legitimacy. Yeah. yeah. They have the records that I'm on. And I'm yeah. not fooling around on it. I'm serious as a heart attack on the records. I'm trying to find the best <laughs> notes for these guys like I did the last guys. That's right. You know? That's right. I'm telling you, I think we've, Adam, we've hit on it. The, the next video is not going to be, we, we can give up on how to walk like Ron. <laughs> it's going to be how to model like Ron yeah. Carter. That's going to be a hit. Come yeah, on. Right. You call me, I'll get you some clothes to wear. <laughs> there we go. That's <laughs> see, that's, right. that's, that's just want. how like high-end models do. They try to they try to be like, oh, it's the clothes. Like yeah, they're right. real self effect <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's not me, it's the clothes. <laughs> well, um, one, one more question I had for you, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but you know, you, you mentioned... Um, Wanting to sound when you were younger, wanting to sound like I think he said J.J. Johnson. Is that is that he's? He really influenced me. His his skill level was so oh, above yeah. what, what trombone players were doing at that time. Yeah. Who who do you when someone asks you for an album recommendation or, or musicians that you come back to again and again? Who are you still listening to? Who are who are your your influences even to this day? What are what are some albums that you would recommend to students or potential students? Listen to some Oscar Pettiford. Mm. He was one of the one of the few guys uh, guys who really wrote perfectly for the instrument. All his melodies, man. Uh, Swing to the Girls Come Home. Uh, uh, Blues in the Closet. Yeah. Uh, all those songs, are l the, the trickatism, since, uh, of all courses, of all, of all things, D-flat for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. Come on, Oscar. <laughs> but they, were perfect, they were perfect for the bass. You need to transpose them to C to make it easier. When you did that, they became more difficult. Yeah. yeah. He understood where to find the notes without jumping around as best he could, given the 40s and 50s. Yeah. You know? I recommend that you listen to uh, Amin Jamal's uh, uh, But Not For Me with Israel Crosby. Oh, yeah. 
his bass line and the melodies, melodies that Ahmet left space for him to play. It proceeded to Gary Peacock and, and, the, and the Scott LeFarrell lack of time, necessarily a 4-4 kind of beat. Mm -hmm. He played in tune. He played maybe only three harmonic Gs for a whole record up top there because he closed the notes. Yeah. yeah. You know? uh, he was like five foot five, five foot six, a short guy playing an American standard. Mm. You know? And he brought the bass to be forefront in the trio where he was not the forefront. Mm. He had a wonderful sound, had great pitch, and when you picked up the, when you heard that record, you know, oh, that's the same guy from Mama Jamal's record. Mm. And, and, and just a wonderful. And I think the, the, the last record I would recommend to uh, a beginning bass player would be uh, my, my record of Brandenburg Number 3, mm. where I do the Brandenburg Third, but I've rewritten, a, I, I have written a bass part to accompany Bach's Number 3. And uh, I've written some changes. I have some, I've added some bars for some solos, but I'm still come back in my end of the solo. I come back to the part that all the bass players and cellos are in the orchestra are playing. I'm doubling their line on the way down, so I'm not just skip skating on top and stopping. I feel like no, I got a plan. Yeah, There's that word again comes back. Yeah, my <laughs> plan, my plan must stop here, so I can play the last four bars that the bass players are in the orchestra, that the cellos and the bass players are playing in this part of this piece. So. I would like to they hear that so they understand how much control I'm exerting in adding this solo on top of a famous piece that always ends correctly. Mm. And it had a great sound. That bass, the bass was playing by itself. You know, That's mm -hmm. you know those days when the bass just kind of kind of takes over. Well, yeah. I say, well, here it is, guys. <laughs> Bam! Take that. You know, yeah. and it's a great feeling to know that they captured that that day. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you so much uh, for this, for another conversation. And I'm already looking forward to the next one. And I figure this will be a, a, a great opportunity to get you on video, on tape, hopefully to agree to talk some more if you're up for it. I know your schedule has gotten a little bit busier with back touring and stuff. And aren't you, are you doing the Vanguard next week or the week after? The week after. Week after, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. It's coming to come down and see what I've discovered in two and a half months, two and a half years off. You know, right, right. I'm, I'm having a long sleeve shirt, but I have some ticks up my sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Here, I'm come out. If anybody's <laughs> in the New York City metropolitan area, you do not want to miss that. Yeah, and come we'll link below to Vanguard. that too, because I know the Vanguard is uh, is back open and do and and doing yeah. great, but there's a little bit limited seating, so you're gonna want to jump on that like yeah. uh, right away, as they say. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Okay, Carter. Nice to see you guys again. You know, next time we do this. Uh, what we can do is, uh, we can I can give you or we can give me some bass lines in half position, and I'll play them for you. But I'll show you how to take those same bass lines, add rhythm to those same notes, so they feel completely different when I've added the rhythm to them. Oh, that would mm. be fantastic! Awesome. Give you some home. Give you guys some homework. Yeah. Come okay. On. We got some homework, we'll and folks will have something to look forward to also, and and, and to practice. It's going to be ready. fun to see how I treat the bass lines that you guys conceive as being great quarter notes, and what would I do with them if I played those order of notes. Yeah. All right. We're going to have Rachel set that up right now. Thank you so much. Only in half position, though. Only, Only in half position. position. Good. Yeah. No, yeah well, yeah, we're piano players. Half. That's all we do. <laughs> Another half line stuff. <laughs> <laughs>